Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. What is the church? What is the church this morning? Uh, last time we were together, we talked about the universal church, and there's a big misunderstanding of the universal church, and that is that as long as you belong to the universal church, you don't have to belong to a local church. That, hey, we're all part of the body of Christ. That's all we need, right? And, and the, the problem with that is it's not biblical. And we're going to talk about that at length today. And this is going to go on for a couple of weeks to really try to reset people's understanding of what church is. There's a lot of people that claim to be Christians that don't believe in the importance of belonging to a local body of believers, a local church. I'll tell you, I was knocking on doors back in the day. I was planting a church up above Concord, north of Concord, and I was knocking on some doors, and I got to this lady's door, and I knocked on her door, and I'm like, hey, my name is Eric. I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I just want to invite you out to church today. She's like, oh, I'm a believer. Come on in. And she invited me and my, uh, my brother in, and we sat down at her table, and she's like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't need the church. I haven't gone to church in years, but I'm, I'm following Jesus, and I'm really on fire for Jesus but I don't need the church. So immediately what I understood there, and maybe you'll disagree with me, and hopefully by the end of this series or maybe even this sermon, you'll understand that your disagreement is founded on a lie. Immediately understood her not to be in a good place. I immediately understood her to be deceived because for someone to say, I don't need the church, Jesus Christ died for the church. Jesus Christ founded the church. The church is a vital part of the Christian's life. And you should belong not only to the universal, invisible church, but to a local church. You see, the interesting thing about the word church, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, the called out ones, the gathering. And the universal church hasn't been gathered yet. You remember of it, but it's not been gathered yet. That's going to happen at what we call the rapture, where it is called out of this earth and it's gathered together in the air, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air, we're going to meet those that have died before us, and it's going to be a massive party. And uh, (laughs) the longer I live on this earth, the more vehemently I say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Echo the words of the Apostle John. So we're going to talk about the church today. We went at length on the, on the universal church and uh, certainly don't deny that the universal church is real. It is taught in Scripture that when you come to Christ, you are baptized into the spiritual body of Christ. You are a part of the universal church. But the interesting thing about the universal church is it has always, from day one, been represented 
by a local church, a local body of believers. And this is what we're going to talk about. And if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look again at the founding of the church here with Jesus. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist, uh, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. That's high praise for Jesus from the people around the area. And he said to them, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to his disciples, Peter, James, John. He's speaking to his disciples. Well, who do you, the people that walk with me, the people that, listen now, the people that know me, the people that see me, right? A few weeks ago, we were talking about fellowship and how John, the apostle, the best friend of Jesus, talked about how he sat with Jesus and ate with Jesus and spoke with Jesus and how they touched him, they handled him, the word of truth, right? It was a physical presence of Christ. He said, who do you Say that I am. You people that know me, you walk with me, you've seen my actions, my behaviors, you've heard my speech, not just my sermonizing, but my conversations. You've seen how I treat people. What, what, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one that is anointed by God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You are the promised Messiah. Peter got it right. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the king, keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Moreover, if your brother sins, now we've jumped to Matthew 18. If you're following along in the Bible app, which I hope you are, um, we jump into Matthew 18. Now, he's still talking to his disciples. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Now, remember, he's given the church the keys of heaven and hell. He's given the church authority. Who has he given authority to? The church. If your brother sins against you. We're going to get into this uh, in, in detail here in a minute. If your brother sins against I want you to underline this. I want you to underline this in your Bible app. I want you to, uh, I'm so proud of my daughter. She bought an actual physical Bible so she could take notes and underline things. And she asked me if I would go and transfer all of my notes from all the years that I've had a Bible into hers. So I'm really, I'm so proud of that. So I see her with her pen right now. Underline the word against. If your brother sins against you. See, part of the problem that people have with the church is they, they look at the church and they say the church is so judgmental. The church is condemning. I don't want anything to do with that church. Because sometimes people read this verse and it says, if your brother sins, go and tell him his sin. That's not what it says, is it? Is that what it says? I've had people come up to me and say, well, pastor, this person had sex before marriage and they're pregnant now. And I'm like, yeah, and that's your business. Why? Did they sin against you? Did they have sex with your husband? Did they have sex with your child? What, did they sin against you? Now, there are times where sin is egregious in the church and it needs to be handled in a disciplinary matter. But right here, we're talking about 
if your brother sins, what's the next word? Sins against, and, and the word after that? Who? Who? I thought I was an owl for a second there. If your brother sins against you, go tell everyone that he hurt you. Go vent to your friends that your brother sinned against you. Is that what it, is that what it says? That's not what it says? I have, a, I have a kid, I think she's in junior high or elementary. I, I don't know how old she is. She's saying, no, that's not what it says. Yes. I love it. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's a problem, right? It amazes me. No, it doesn't amaze me. Because we're all broken people. I get it. Broken people, hurting people, hurt people. But in the book of Proverbs that God gifted to us, like think about that for a second. The book of Proverbs is basically a gift to the world on how to live a successful, happy life. Here is a self-help book for you. The book of Proverbs is not necessary for you to know that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus as your Savior. The book of Proverbs is not necessary for you to know who Jesus is and what he did. The book of Proverbs is literally a gift to you and to me. It's the word of the living God. It reveals his nature and his character, but it also gives us all these amazing principles that we can live our lives by. And in the book of Proverbs, he says this. Don't be a backbiter. Don't spread rumors. Right? Now, now I was a youth pastor for, for a lot of years. Angel, were you a youth pastor? Yeah. Josh is a youth pastor. Stephen works with the teens. Patrick worked with the teens. Now, teenagers, they think that if it's true, it's not a rumor. I'm not spreading. It's true. I'm not lying. Well, it doesn't, uh, listen, <laughs> truth doesn't change the fact that you're speaking something that will harm someone else, right? So, anyways, I digress. Go to the brother who sinned against you alone, and if he hears you, now there's things that Jesus is kind of assuming you're smart enough to figure out. You're going to go and you're going to tell him his fault between you and him alone. You're going to confront that brother. Say, listen, you hurt me by doing this. You hurt me by saying this. You're going to confront that brother. And if he hears you, what does it say? What does it say? You have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, well, now it's getting, now it's getting dicey. Take with you one or two more that quotations here. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Well, what church? You didn't have the internet back then. 
couldn't post it online so the universal, invisible, worldwide church could hear it. What church is he talking about? That local church. Tell it to the church. And let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And what he means by that is let him be as though he were not a true believer and treat him in that manner. How do you treat people that don't know Jesus? What do you do? You love them. You don't participate in their sin. You don't condemn them. You love them. But you put them out of the church in this particular case. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, again, now here's Jesus reminding the church that you have authority, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two or three Uh, If two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And he's talking about church discipline. He's talking about brothers going to brothers. People are like, oh, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. That's a church. No, that's discipline. That's a situation where a brother has sinned against a brother and there needs to be witnesses. Now, we're going to get into this. Oh, Lord, I'm going to... I'm going to go to my notes. Imagine that. What is the local church? The local church. First of all, we're going to go back to that. Just hang on. First of all, the local church was founded by Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples. He founded the local church in Jerusalem at the same time that he founded the universal church in Jerusalem. Same time, same church. He is just as real and reasonable today as he was 2,000 years ago, but he is not physically with us, and so we represent Jesus, and just as we represent Jesus, we represent the universal worldwide church. And so, as we go on, what is the church? A couple of things I want to go over really quickly here. Number one, the church is relational. I tried to get a picture that you couldn't see everybody's face because I didn't want to tick anybody off today. Um, The local church is relational. This was one of my favorite things that we've ever done in our local church is this this be blessed block party, this cookout. Yes, it was outreach, but it was also our church body coming together and fellowshipping and loving each other and having a relationship. Listen, if you come to church on Sunday morning and that's all you do, you're missing it. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't go to church, you are the church. And the church is relational, it's very clearly relational because we just walked through this passage of scripture where we saw those people in the church referred to as what? Thank you. Brothers, sisters, siblings. If your brother sins against you, I have a brother right here. I'm so glad COVID is over and Randy's here now and I can pick on Randy. That's my big brother. He is older than me. I know that he has a habit of lying to everyone in the church. And I know you're thinking I'm kidding, but he is my older brother. Two and a half years older than me. I am the baby of the family. And everyone knows that babies are best. Right, Patrick? Babies are the best. Favorite children. Look what happened to Esau. Didn't work out for him. Anyways, 
there was a sermon I preached. Can I talk about I'm going to talk about it. There was a sermon I preached because he deserves everything he gets. He tortured me as a child. There was a sermon I preached, and I, it was, let me tell you, it was biblical, straight up biblical, but I was also angry. I was very angry, and I knew as I came into the pulpit that I was coming up against the line where I was going to cross the line and get into the, what is referred to as the flesh, and I was going to speak from my anger, not from the spirit. But I decided to try it anyways, because that's never failed. And even though everything I said was biblical, the way I said it was not necessarily what you might be used to from me. So the next day, I get a phone call. Can you imagine? From whom do you think? My big brother. He's still trying to say his younger brother. So my big brother called me. We talked on the phone, I think, for two hours, and we went around and around and around this because he was ticked off at me. And he felt like I did a disservice to the church in in how I preached and what I preached. A brother. Now, granted, he's my blood. And I look up to my brother. He's been my big brother all my life, imagine. But he, he was my hero growing up. I looked up to my big brother, I love my big brother, and he called me up, and we went toe-to-toe on the phone. I remember when we toe-to-toe and I hit him in the head with an ice ball by accident. It didn't go as well as the phone call. (laughs) He had me up against the wall going, I'm going to kill you. Um, Somehow he didn't kill me. Oh, you started laughing because I was taller than you then. That's, that's, That's what saved my life. Anyways, he called me up and he's like, I did not like what you did last night. I felt like this. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're wrong. And thus began a two-hour conversation. (laughs) Folks, that's what you do. That's what you do. Church is relational. What I find in churches far too frequently is people run away from conflict, and from confrontation. They run away. Instead of confronting the person, like my brother confronted me, and granted, he's not really afraid of me like some people might be. We choose to run away from our family. It's no wonder people run away from the local church because we have fathers and mothers running away from their own blood relative families instead of having healthy confrontations. And we're going to talk about what a healthy confrontation is. We walk through the relational significance of the church in this passage, the relational body of Jesus. We're confronted and challenged. Listen, it's in the relational body of Jesus where we are confronted, we are challenged, and we are changed. Sanctification doesn't happen in a room by yourself with a candle in your Bible and you chanting kumbaya. God's tools of sanctification, yes, are the Word of God, His Holy Spirit, and guess what? His church. Your brothers and your sisters in your local church. And the result of my brother confronting me was I apologized for how I preached, but not what I preached, and we agreed to end it there. And I changed my modus operandi. I will try very hard not to get into this pulpit 
if I am that angry. And there have been times where I recognize that I was just not healthy enough to get into the pulpit because I knew I was going to say something I shouldn't say. And so the confrontation between me and my brother, you know what ended up happening? It made me a better minister. Now, if he just chose to blow that off and chose to leave the church, it, it would have left me less than what I could have been. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? It should, because it's God's prescription. It's right there. In the universal church, listen, if, if, if only the universal church were all you, could, all you need to be concerned with, you could wander to local body, to local body, to local body, and whenever you were confronted, you could just leave and never face the conflict, never face the challenge to change. Now, there are always caveats. The Bible says, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. There are times where you need to move on. That's just a fact. There are times where there is such a sharp disagreement and there is no resolution that it's time to move on. But there should at least be the disagreement and the conversation and the confrontation. So, this is where we find the local church to be indispensable. There will be conflicts. Uh, listen, if my own brother and I had a conflict and a confrontation, what chance do we have if we're not blood-related? Of course we're going to have differences of opinion. Of course we're going to sin against each other. How many of you didn't sin over the last three months? Anybody make it through the last three months without blowing it? So, of course, we're going to mess up with each other. But I'm going to talk about conflict and, and the biblical way to deal with conflict. First of all, the local church is a gathering. In the gathering, there are personalities and there are passions. And eventually, there are conflicts. You should see some of our senior leadership meetings. It's awesome. Every now and then, it gets really uncomfortable and I sit there and watch the guys, and I'm like, oh, look at this guy. He's really uncomfortable right now. It's so good for him. Because do you really grow when you're comfortable? Come on now. Conflicts. Now, I want to share this. In my 30 years of ministry, roughly, might be more, might be less. In my 30 years of ministry, most of the conflicts that I have either experienced or mediated, do you know what they are? Most of them were not, you sinned against me. You know what most of them were? Cliff? Misunderstandings. Most of the time, it's assumptions. You didn't see what you thought you saw, or somebody said something to you, hey, did you hear what Randy said about you? Now you're getting mad. Well, Randy might not have said it about you, which is a reason why, shut up. Just stop it. Just stop it. Anyways, I digress. Most of the conflicts that I have mediated were misunderstandings. Very few 
involved a sin from one brother against another brother. Very few. So before you go to Matthew 18 and you confront your brother who sinned against you, you should do a couple things. First of all, you need to get in prayer. You need to get with your heavenly Father who has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit and you need to ask him to search your heart and to give you clarity because you might not be right. I know that's a shocker, but you might be wrong in your understanding of what's happened. So you go to God and you pray. The second thing that you're going to go to God and you're going to pray about is you're going to pray, God, give me a heart of compassion for the person who has offended me. Give me a heart of compassion for the person that has sinned against me. Give me a heart of mercy. Help me, Lord, prepare me to forgive them. Now, a lot of us don't want to do that. And in the, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, he talks about forgiveness being imperative to your relationship with God the Father. If you're unwilling to forgive someone who repents, dude, you are in trouble. So you go to God and say, God, um, Patrick really, oh, he really hurt me. He really upset me. This is what's going on, Lord. And then you wait. Okay, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Help me to see. And if the Spirit's not really showing you anything, or maybe you're just too stubborn to hear him, your next step is to go to your brother. And when we read that passage of Scripture, I, I, want, you to, I want you to notice the first part of it. What is, what is that first verse say toward the end? If he hears you, what? What? You have gained your brother. Far too often in the church, when there's conflict, and a necessary confrontation, the person going in for the confrontation is not interested in gaining his brother. What is he interested in? Winning. Revenge. I'm going to hurt you the way you hurt me, or I'm going to rub your nose in it, whatever the case may be. But what does God say about conflict? What is the end goal of every confrontation, what is it supposed to be? What is it supposed to be? To gain your brother. Now, that's in the church here. Now, isn't it awesome that we can come to church and God can teach us something like this and we can look at our brothers and sisters in the church and go, oh, really, like, Angel, you really, oh, you really hurt me. You really ticked me off. And so I'm going to go to Angel. I'm going to confront Angel. But the goal of my confrontation is not to rub Angel's face in the dirt, not to make Angel feel like a total loser. The goal of the confrontation is to help Angel recognize that he harmed me and to restore what was lost. Now, it may be that when I confront Angel, I go, huh, I was wrong. I thought you said, wow, boy, am I glad I came to talk to you and that we cleared this up right? Or he was wrong and he's like, and I know Angel, he might be stubborn. He might resist hearing what you have to say for a bit, but then he'll usually say, okay, yeah, you're right. If he doesn't say it, the Bible says take two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses to what? That was a quotation of the Old Testament. Do we take two or three people to witness the confrontation? Is that what the witnesses are for? 
The Bible tells us it's witnesses to establish every word. It's witnesses of the offense. People that can support your point of view. People that can support what you think you saw. And they go with you and they say, Angel, listen, man. You were a total and complete jerk. And it's not just me. Sister so-and-so and brother Billy Bob witnessed this. Now Angel's going, well, it was pretty easy to dismiss just you as being a big fat baby, but it's kind of hard to dismiss Billy Bob and -and so-and-so. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't to crush the spirit of Angel or Patrick or Randy or me. The purpose is to restore something that was lost. Are Are you with me, guys? Now, I was saying, how awesome is this that we come to church and we hear this amazing principle that God has gifted us with, right? And we don't just have, listen, it's not, you don't just have to use it in church. You can use it with your wife, with your husband. There's a lot of situations where there's, there's conflict in a, in a marital relationship, and instead of confronting We might not run away and divorce our spouse, but we run away inside, don't we? How many of you guys have done that? I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. It didn't happen, but you know it happened. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it turns into bitterness. And the Bible calls bitterness a root, and it says when that root grows up, it defiles everything it touches. So we run away inside. So here you are, welcome to marriage counseling. You need to learn how to confront your spouse in a godly, healthy way, and your goal of confrontation has to be what? Restoration. That always has to be the goal. The goal is not winning the argument, the goal is winning the relationship. The goal is forgiveness, the goal is restoration. So when you have to confront a brother or sister in your local church, or you have to confront your wife or husband or children or father or mother, the goal always has to be to gain your brother, sister, father, mother, son, daughter, wife or husband. That has to be the goal. Far too often we go into confrontation and all we take with us is anger. And I'm going to win this. And I'm going to make sure they know how bad they hurt me. And you know how you make sure that they know how bad they hurt you? By hurting them as bad as they hurt you. I'm a fighter. You hurt me. My instinct is to hurt you back. And my brother raised me this way. Like if somebody hurts you, you hurt him back twice as much. Isn't that what you taught me? Something like that. (laughs) That wasn't biblical, Randy. Sorry. We differ every now and then. So conflicts. We must go in there with resolution, restoration as the goal. Conflicts go unresolved because of a lack of confrontation. And Jesus gives a lesson to the local church. Go to your brother who sins, what? Against you. It's got to be personal, right? Go one-on-one first. 
If he hears you've gained your brother, fellowship lost is restored. And hear me well, confrontation is not, is not an act of revenge. It's not verbal violence. It's not verbal vomit. It's seeking restoration of that which has been broken. Now, when repentance is offered, this is why you have to pray. Lord, give me a heart of mercy. Because if you go to Angel and you're like, Angel, you really hurt me. And Angel's going, wow, I'm a total idiot. I'm sorry. Guess what you have to do now? You have to accept it. You have to forgive it and allow God to heal the relationship. That's why before you go, you need to pray because sometimes it takes the power of the Holy Spirit, not just your demeanor and your character, to forgive a person that's hurt you. You've got to be filled with the Spirit to say, okay, angel, I accept that, and now when I look at you, I don't look at the offense. All I see is my brother angel. Some of you parents would do well to learn this when your kids screw up, and they come to you, and they confess, and they and they repent to look at that child and say, I forgive you, it's over, it's done. When I see you, all I see is you. Boy, do kids need to hear that today. We've created a culture of shame, and it's a shame that we've created that culture. If he repents, you gain your brother. We went over, if he rejects it, you bring the witnesses. If they reject the witnesses, you bring it to the church. And in Emmanuel, You bring it to the leaders of the church. The representative authority of Emmanuel is your senior leadership. You bring it to me. You bring it to Ron. You bring it to Rick. You bring it to Peter. You have a recourse. At that time, we will probably create a mediation where we bring both parties together and we examine the evidence. And again, the whole goal is what? Restoration, restoration, restoration. So, to sum up, Look at these guys. This is the family that's living out back, the missionaries to Manna, Manna Mission. This is the Alsops. I love them. He was here a couple weeks ago. Um, love them to death. We are family. The local church is a family. The universal church is out there. It's ethereal. You can't touch it. You're a part of it. But it's manifested in local congregations where they preach the gospel authentically. They believe the word of God is truth. And that is the local congregation, the local representative of the universal church. And we are family. I love what Sean had to say. He shared that with me before, before, uh, before baptism. Coming to Emmanuel and just seeing and learning love. Or family. Does family fight? I just told you Randy and I fought. Biblically, we had a confrontation. When we were kids, he was going to throttle me on more than one occasion. But there is nobody else, probably, no, nobody else, that I would trust to have my back more than that man sitting right there in the front seat. Nobody, because he's, he's my brother, but he's also my spiritual brother, and he's proven himself to me my whole life, even when he picked fights with people and used me as an excuse. It was just to make me stronger, so he said. No, he didn't say that. So, 
I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I hope that you have, are beginning to recognize the value and the importance of the local church. The universal church is absolutely reality. We have been baptized into the universal body of Christ. But that universal body is represented physically here on earth by local bodies. And you ought to be a part of one. That's why membership matters. So, God is still building his church. You believe that today? God is still building his church. We just saw it this morning. Two folks that came to Jesus were baptized. They will be members of this church soon. Folks, he is adding to the church those that are being saved. He's still building his church. And here's something. There's still room for you. There is no greater organization on the face of the earth than God's church and the family. That's it. There's nothing better. There's nothing more important than your family and your local church. He's still building his church. There's still room for you. And finally, as the worship team comes forward, I have this question. Will you trust him? The only way to become a member of a local church that is a true biblical church. Listen, there's a lot of buildings out there with the word church on them. There's a lot of gatherings out there that call themselves churches. But if they don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is written in the scripture, and they're not worshiping the God of the scriptures, they can call themselves whatever they want to. They're not a church. They're not a church of Jesus Christ. To be a part of the church You've got to know Jesus. You've got to know him. Not just know about him. You have to know him. And then you have to trust him. One on one, you and Jesus, believing with all of your heart that if you call upon him to be your personal savior, he will forgive you of your sin, past, present, and future because he died on the cross to take the penalty that you and I deserve. And then the Bible says the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. That's why there's still room for you. Because he hasn't called us out of here. He hasn't called the church up to the rapture. He hasn't declared the end of the church age. So there is still room for you. Hey all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.